Section six of the Book of Ser Marco Polo, the Venetian, concerning the kingdoms and marvels of the East, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. The Book of Ser Marco Polo, the Venetian, concerning the kingdoms and marvels of the East, Volume two, by Rusticella de Pisa. Translated by Henry Ewell. Book Second, Part Three, Journey Southward Through Eastern Provinces of Cathay and Mansi. Chapters Sixty to Sixty-Five. Chapter Sixty, Concerning the Cities of Kakanfu and Changlu. Kakanfu is a noble city. The people are idolaters and burn their dead. They have paper money and live by trade and handicrafts for they have plenty of silk from which they weave stuffs of silk and gold, and sendals in large quantities. There are also certain Christians at this place who have a church. And the city is at the head of an important territory containing numerous towns and villages. A great river passes through it, on which much merchandise is carried to the city of Kambulak, for by many channels and canals it is connected therewith. We will now set forth again, and travel three days towards the south, and then we will come to a town called Changlu. This is another great city belonging to the great Khan, and to the province of Cathay. The people have paper money, and are idolaters, and burn their dead. And you must know they make salt in great quantities at this place. I will tell you how tis done. A kind of earth is found there which is exceedingly salt. This they dig up and pile in great heaps. Upon these heaps they pour water in quantities till it runs out at the bottom, and then they take up this water and boil it well in great iron cauldrons, and as it cools it deposits a fine white salt in very small grains. This salt they then carry about for sale to many neighboring districts, and get great profit thereby. There is nothing else worth mentioning, so let us go forward five days' journey, and we shall come to a city called Chingangli. Chapter 61. Concerning the city of Ching-Angli, and that of Tadinfu, and the rebellion of Litan. Ching-Angli is a city of Cathay, as you go south, and it belongs to the great Khan. The people are idolaters, and have paper money. There runs through the city a great and wide river, on which a large traffic in silk goods and spices, and other costly merchandise, passes up and down. When you travel south from Ching-Angli for five days, you meet everywhere with fine towns and villages, the people of which are all idolaters, and burn their dead, and are subject to the great Khan, and have paper money, and live by trade and handicrafts, and they have all the necessaries of life in great abundance. But there is nothing particular to mention on the way till you come, at the end of those five days, to Tadinfu. This, you must know, is a very great city and in old times it was the seat of a great kingdom. But the great Khan conquered it by force of arms. Nevertheless, it is still the noblest city in all those provinces. There are very great merchants here, who trade on a great scale, and the abundance of silk is something marvellous. They have also most charming gardens abounding with fruit of large size. This city of Tadinfu hath also under its rule eleven imperial cities of great importance, all of which enjoy a large and profitable trade, owing to the immense produce of silk. Now you must know that in the year of Christ, 1273, 
the great khan had sent a certain baron called li tan sangan with some eight thousand horse to this province and city to garrison them and after the said captain had tarried there a while he formed a disloyal and traitorous plot and stirred up the great men of the province to rebel against the great khan and so they did for they broke into revolt against their sovereign lord and refused all obedience to him and made this li tan whom their sovereign had sent thither for their protection to be the chief of their revolt when the great khan heard thereof he straightway dispatched two of his barons one of whom was called aguil and the other mongote giving them one hundred thousand horse and a great force of infantry but the affair was a serious one for the barons were met by the rebel li tan with all those whom he had collected from the province mustering more than one hundred thousand horse and a large force of foot nevertheless in the battle li tan and his party were utterly routed and the two barons whom the emperor had sent won the victory when the news came to the great khan he was right well pleased and ordered that all the chiefs who had rebelled or excited others to rebel should be put to a cruel death but that those of lower rank should receive a pardon and so it was done the two barons had all the leaders of the enterprise put to a cruel death and all of those of lower rank were pardoned and thenceforward they conducted themselves with loyalty towards their lord now having told you all about this affair let us have done with it and i will tell you of another place that you come to in going south which is called sinju matu chapter sixty two concerning the noble city of sinju matu on leaving tadanfu you travel three days towards the south always finding numbers of noble and populous towns and villages flourishing with trade and manufacturers there is also abundance of game in the country and everything in profusion when you have travelled those three days you come to the noble city of sinjumatu a rich and fine place with great trade and manufacturers the peoples are idolaters and subjects of the great khan and have paper money and they have a river which i can assure you brings them great gain and i will tell you about it you see the river in question flows from the south to this city of sinjumatu and the people of the city have divided this large river in two making one half of it flow east and the other half flow west that is to say the one branch flows toward mansi and the other towards cathay and it is a fact that the number of vessels at this city is what no one would believe without seeing them the quantity of merchandise also which these vessels transport to mansi and cathay is something marvellous and then they return loaded with other merchandise so that the amount of goods borne to and fro on these two rivers is quite astonishing chapter sixty three concerning the cities of linju and piju on leaving the city of sinju matu you travel for eight days towards the south always coming to great and rich towns and villages flourishing with trade and manufactures the people are all subjects of the great khan use paper money and burn their dead at the end of those eight days you come to the city of linju in a province of the same name of which it is the capital it is a rich and noble city and the men are good soldiers nathless they carry on great trade and manufactures there is great abundance of game in both beasts and birds and all the necessaries of life are in profusion the place stands on the river of which i told you above and they have here great numbers of vessels even greater than those of which i spoke before and these transport a great amount of costly merchandise 
So, quitting this province and the city of Linju, you travel three days more towards the south, constantly finding numbers of rich towns and villages. These still belong to Cathay, and the people are all idolaters, burning their dead, and using paper money. That, I mean, of the lord their great Khan, whose subjects they are. This is the finest country for game, whether in beasts or birds, that is anywhere to be found, and all the necessaries of life are in profusion. At the end of those three days you find the city of Piju, a great, rich, and noble city, with large trade and manufactures, and a great production of silk. This city stands at the entrance of the great province of Manzi, and there reside at it a great number of merchants who dispatch carts from this place loaded with great quantities of goods to the different towns of Manzi. The city brings in a great revenue to the great Khan. Chapter 64 Concerning the City of Siju and the Great River Karamoran When you leave Piju, you travel towards the south for two days, through beautiful districts abounding in everything, and in which you find great quantities of all kinds of game. At the end of these two days you reach the city of Siju, a great, rich, and noble city, flourishing with trade and manufactures. The people are idolaters, burn their dead, use paper money, and are subjects of the great Khan. They possess extensive and fertile plains producing abundance of wheat and other grain. But there is nothing else to mention, so let us proceed and tell you of the countries further on. On leaving Siju you ride south for three days, constantly falling in with fine towns and villages and hamlets and farms, with their cultivated lands. There is plenty of wheat and other corn, and of game also, and the people are all idolaters and subjects of the great Khan. At the end of those three days you reach the great river, Karmoran, which flows hither from Prester John's country. It is a great river, and more than a mile in width, and is so deep that great ships can navigate it. It abounds in fish, and very big ones, too. You must know that in this river there are some fifteen thousand vessels, all belonging to the great Khan, and kept to transport his troops to the Indian Isles, whenever there may be occasion for the sea is only one day distant from the place we are speaking of. And each of these vessels, taking one with another, will require twenty mariners, and will carry fifteen horses with the men belonging to them, and their provision, arms, and equipments. Hither and thither, on either bank of the river, stands a town, the one facing the other. The one is called Koiganju, and the other Kaiju. The former is a large place, and the latter a little one and when you pass this river you enter the great province of Manzi. So now I must tell you how this province of Manzi was conquered by the great Khan. Chapter 65 How the Great Khan Conquered the Province of Manzi You must know that there was a king and sovereign lord of the great territory of Manzi, who was styled Fakfur, so great and puissant a prince, that for vastness of wealth and number of subjects and extent of dominion, there was hardly a greater in all the earth except the great Khan himself. But the people of his land were anything rather than warriors. All their delight was in women, and naught but women. And so it was above all with the king himself, for he took thought of nothing else but women, unless it were of charity to the poor. In all his dominion there were no horses, nor were the people ever inured to battle or arms, or military service of any kind. Yet the province of Mansi is very strong by nature, and all the cities are encompassed by sheets of water of great depth, and more than an arblast shot in width, so that the country would never have been lost, had the people but been soldiers. 
but that is just what they were not. So lost it was. Now it came to pass, in the year of Christ's incarnation, 1268, that the great Khan, the same that now reigneth, dispatched thither a baron of his, whose name was Bayan Chinksan, which is as much to say, Bayan Hundred Eyes. And you must know that the king of Mansi had found in his horoscope that he never should lose his kingdom except through a man that had a hundred eyes. So he held himself assured in his position, for he could not believe that any man in existence could have a hundred eyes. There, however, he deluded himself, in his ignorance of the name of Bayan. This Bayan had an immense force of horse and foot entrusted to him by the great Khan, and with these he entered Mansi, and he had also a great number of boats to carry both horse and foot when need should be. And when he, with all his host, entered the territory of Mansi, and arrived at the city of Choiganju, whither we now are got, and of which we shall speak presently, he summoned the people thereof to surrender to the great Khan. But this they flatly refused. On this Bayan went on to another city, with the same result, and then still went forward, acting thus because he was aware that the great Khan was dispatching another great host to follow him up. What shall I say, then? He advanced to five cities in succession, but got possession of none of them, for he did not wish to engage in besieging them, and they would not give themselves up. But when he came to the sixth city, he took that by storm, and so with a second, and a third, and a fourth, until he had taken twelve cities in succession. And when he had taken all these, he advanced straight against the capital city of the kingdom, which was called Kinsay, and which was the residence of the king and queen. And when the king beheld Bayan coming with all his host, he was in great dismay, as one unused to see such sights. So he and a great company of his people got on board a thousand ships, and fled to the islands of the ocean sea, whilst the queen, who remained behind in the city, took all measures in her power for its defence, like a valiant lady. Now it came to pass that the queen asked what was the name of the captain of the host, and they told her that it was Bayan Hundred Eyes. So when she wist that he was styled Hundred Eyes, she called to mind how their astrologers had foretold that a man of a hundred eyes should strip them of the kingdom. Wherefore she gave herself up to Bayan, and surrendered to him the whole kingdom and all the other cities and fortresses, so that no resistance was made. And in sooth this was a goodly conquest, for there was no realm on earth half so wealthy. The amount that the king used to expend was perfectly marvellous, and as an example I will tell you somewhat of his liberal acts. In those provinces they are wont to expose their newborn babies. I speak of the poor, who have not the means of bringing them up. But the king used to have all those foundlings taken charge of, and had note made of the signs and planets under which each was born, and then put them out to nurse about the country. And when any rich man was childless he would go to the king and obtain from him as many of these children as he desired. Or, when the children grew up, the king would make up marriages among them, and provide for the couples from his own purse. In this manner he used to provide for some twenty thousand boys and girls every year. I will tell you another thing this king used to do. If he was taking a ride through the city and chanced to see a house that was very small and poor, standing among other houses that were fine and large, he would ask why it was so, and they would tell him it belonged to a poor man who had not the means to enlarge it. Then the king would himself supply the means. And thus it came to pass that in all the capital of the kingdom of Mansi, Kinsay by name, you should not see any but fine houses. 
this king used to be waited on by more than a thousand young gentlemen and ladies all clothed in the richest fashion and he ruled his realm with such justice that no malefactors were to be found therein the city in fact was so secure that no man closed his doors at night not even in houses and shops that were full of all sorts of rich merchandise no one could do justice in the telling to the great riches of that country and to the good disposition of the people now that i have told you about the kingdom i will go back to the queen you must know that she was conducted to the great khan who gave her an honourable reception and caused her to be served with all state like a great lady as she was but as for the king her husband he never more did quit the isles of the sea to which he had fled but died there so we leave him and his wife and all their concerns and let us return to our story and go on regularly with our account of the great province of mansi and of the manners and customs of its people and to begin at the beginning we must go back to the city of choiganju from which we diverged to tell you about the conquest of mansi end of section six